Perry Carey and Steve Stone. Here are the lineups first for Terry McFranconis' uh, starting lineup of Cummings in center. Sipsick in second. Roland in third. Brogna at first. Lieberthal, the catcher. Robertson in left. Barron in right. Stocker, the shortstop. And Matt Beach is on the hill. He's won four and lost nine. The Pepsi defense against that alignment. Lowry in left. Glanville in center. Sosa in right. Ori, Hernandez, Sandberg, and Grace around the infield. Jeremiah Gonzalez on the hill. Mike Hubbard behind the plate. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. I know you've missed it. It's time once again to remember this crap with Mike Donahue. Only now we're not remembering Bears crap. We're remembering Cubs crap. Mike, how are you? I'm great, Andy. Just, uh, you know, let's let's be honest. The 16-game season compared to 162, it's a whole lot more crap. I'm no mathematician, but it's like 10 times more crap. Is that right? I think that's right. Uh, before we get started, big, I want to give everybody the exciting podcast lineup now on Pointless Exercise here in the spring. Um, Mike Pusateri and I just finished our third movie deep dive podcast. We added Major League to the uh, oeuvre. I like to use that word once a podcast. Nice pronunciation. I didn't know how that was pronounced. I don't. I doubt that's how it's actually pronounced. Um, so you can... You could on the podcast feed. You could find a movie deep dive into Major League. You could find a movie deep dive into Moneyball, and you could find a movie deep dive into the right stuff. And we are currently doing our homework for the next one, which is Rounders. This podcast is back now on a semi-monthly, bi-monthly, and bi-monthly is twice a month and twice. I don't know. Well, I, I think that's one of those odd um, one-offs in the English language where bi-weekly means every two weeks and twice a week yes. if i'm not mistaken so you need more context so anyway like twice a month we're going to do we're going to remember crap and now we're going to remember crap about the cubs and then next week it's the triumphant return of the cubs podcast and though he threatened to quit we i don't want to say we talked him out of it he talked himself out of it um, <laughs> sam is back and so is kyle so uh no uh we've kept stability on the roster Everybody's back for the spring. It's very exciting. It's, uh, I guess, more than you can say for the Cubs. All right, so now the way the Cub thing is going to work, because we have to complicate things as much as possible, <laughs> we are going to, at random, pick a year. And we're just going to talk about that season. And the way we're going to do it, if you've listened to the Movie Deep Dive podcast, we have a wheel. And we spin the wheel, and that tells us what the next movie is going to be. Except in that one, we fudge it. Because I have a wheel of movies I picked, Mike Pusteri has a wheel of movies he picked, and we have this joint wheel that we both picked, and then somebody wins the podcast, and then they get to pick what we do. And this one, there's none of that crap. We have a wheel that has every year from 1980 to 2011, and we're just going to spin that SOB at the beginning of the podcast, and wherever it lands, that's what we have to talk about that night. 
with no homework. 30... God, why would we want to do any research? That's that's researching this crap. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to do any work. It's all up here. Yes, we're remembering crap. We're not researching it. Thirty-two years of crap, and I can say that without denigrating our recent World Series victories because we're stopping at twenty eleven. Um, we don't need to rehash the recent success. I think it's kind of fresh. Everyone knows it. Everyone has their own take. You know, nothing's going to really stand out. Any observations about the 2015, 2016 Cubs? Plus, to do so, I think, would just probably make us sad because we're still not too far removed from it and would have thought that uh, things would have continued to uh, remain at that uh, at that level for a few more years. I'll Had, tell you who's so. going to be mad about the cutoff. Dale fame. Uh, we won't have a Dale's fame yeah. mention outside of tonight. Yeah. Although I doubt that's true. I feel like I, I've talked about this before, but um, when I was at the athletic, I got assigned to remember the 2012 Cubs roster. And that's enough for me. You guys can go read that. Yeah. <laughs> well, by doing so, you become an expert because uh, as much as I can boast about, you know, knowing all kinds of pointless facts about so many Cubs teams throughout the years, uh, there is that real black period, that black hole um, before Theo was hired. After 2008, when they broke me, when the 98-win Cubs team uh, got swept out of the playoffs after having only led four innings total, um, and I won't say any more about that till we – the wheel lands on 2008, but but you know uh, what's good about you know what's good about Marquee? They never remind you. They they it's not like they constantly remind you about that team's failure with the fucking poster boy for that failure being foisted upon us in every show, and they can't understand why there's a relatively large segment of Cub fans who despise him, and we don't care that he may kiss Crane's ass and make everybody feel like he's this great guy. He's still the guy oh, we'll, who walks seven Dodgers in a playoff oh, game. We'll get to him, Andy, when we oh, do 2004 and 2008. Not got, just the seven Dodgers, but how the, about this for the? I got this the, idea the, for the, the 2012 uh, Cubs. I'll consult with my lawyer, who used to be on the Cub podcast with us. Um, <laughs> he's the best one I can afford because he's free. Um, some week when we just we decide we need a week off. I'll just record myself reading the column I wrote for the Athletic. It'll be like an audio ver- audiobook version of it, because I'm sure yep. I own the intellectual property of that, right? It's not like they own it just because they paid me to do it. Oh, that's probably a flaw in that idea. Yeah, I don't. I, but are they really gonna, you know, send their lawyers after you? I would say I would just read the parts I left out. But as everybody knows, you don't leave anything out of anything. You just get all the crap, and you have to sort well, through it yourself. It- yeah, especially when you're talking <clears throat> about the 2012 Cubs. It's all crap. All right. So, so yeah, if, if you want 2012, you can get that in, in the addenda that, that, you, that you may just. Well, they will have a special read. edition. If the fans clamor for it, we'll do a special edition of the podcast all about Jason Birkin and the Japanese guy that I can't remember his name. I didn't even know was on the team. And he pitched like five times. I completely. I, I, I don't even know who Jason Birkin is. And, I'm not yeah. sure that his parents claim him anymore. And if he has, but if he has an equivalent on any team on the '80s, I would know who that is. But no, 2012. Yeah. All right. So, so we got a, enough preamble. We're gonna fire this up, and we're gonna see what year we're gonna talk about tonight. It's like being on the Price Is Right. Did it go all the way around? 
Hey! Night, the good, the year of our Lord, 1997. Nothing, nothing exciting happened that year, did it? Um, certainly not in Chicago in general. Um, that could open up a can of worms. I'm sorry, that is just too perfect that we are starting with 1997. I'm almost, I guess I would have been taken aback by any years, but you know, free association, top of my head, you've got Kevin Ory starting the season at third base on opening day from whence the Cubs, of course, lose their first 14 games of the year. And Jeremy Gonzalez made his debut and Kevin Tapney joined the Cubs. And oh boy, I can't wait uh, to discuss this for the next hour, Andy. Woohoo! 1997 Cubs. That's it. Bring it on. All right, so one of the things you claimed you could do is you could, at the top of every show, you could give us five things about okay. whatever year it is. So here you go. Five things about 1997. That I haven't already blurted out? Um, no you can problem. Expand, you can expand on any of those if I you would like. say it was the last season of Ryan Sandberg uh, as a Chicago Cub and as a Major League Baseball player. And it was all the fact number one. Fact number two, it was also Harry Carey's final season um, as a Cubs broadcaster. Um, fun fact number three, I'm going to just stay on the broadcasting part because you'll find this funny. Um, it was supposed to have been a very rewarding year for one Josh Lewin, but a do not go quietly into the night raging old Harry Carey one year from death's door insisted on traveling down to Florida and doing the road games as well, just bumping Josh Lewin. So enough of that. I'm sure we can return to that if we want to. Uh, also in 1997, I mentioned that Kevin Tappany was a Cub, but uh, the better news is that uh, the Cubs got the two best years out of Jaime Navarro's career in 1995-1996 and flipped him to the Sox from whence Tappany came, and he proceeded to be such a bust that Jerry Reinsdorf swore he would never allow his general managers to sign a free agent pitcher for more than three years. Fact number five, 1997 Cubs. Having already mentioned they lost their first 14 games, I guess things were made particularly worse early in that losing streak when uh, one of their few bright spots in, in his prime, Mark Grace, pulled his hamstring uh, in uh, in Atlanta or possibly Florida, one of those two. Um, it was a long, long April in 1997. What year, did he, what year did Jaime Navarro fall down the stairs in the dugout? <laughs> he was only with the Cubs for two years, and he was uh, damn good. Navarro won 17 games in 1992 for the Brewers, kind of like burst out of nowhere. And it was uh, Paul Molitor's last year in Milwaukee, and they made some sort of unlikely pennant run. And, you know, hooray, hurrah. But then Jaime Navarro the next couple of years, absolutely. I don't know if he ate himself out of the league or what, but he was given a second chance by the Cubs, and he actually performed uh, well, for um, you know what he, he you know he wasn't commanding a high salary, it built himself back up again. Like I said, uh, <laughs> after those two years, the Cubs may have traded for him. I don't think they signed him. Um, he earned a really big contract. It's the only pitch for the Cubs, and he ended up getting stuck on the Sox. But as far as the stairwell goes, I uh, I couldn't help you there. You find anything online? Jaime Navarro falling down a well. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't. Uh, What's the little girl in Texas? The guy traveling uh, McClure, Jessica McClure. I mean, that was that was satirized on a Simpsons episode that took Did place her dad 30 used to years. Her dad used to pitch for the Brewers. That was Bob McClure, Bob. right? Bob. It all ties into baseball. 
Um, sure does. Now, sure you does. remember, of course, who the Cubs' closer to start 1997. I do. Big free agent signing, right? Yeah. Felipe Alou's nephew, I believe. The one and only Mel Rojas. Mel Rojas. Yes. The cousin of Moises, the nephew of Felipe, Jesus, and Matty. Oh, that's right. He would be Moises' cousin if he was Felipe. Okay. Um. Wow. Yeah. And he was a free agent signing. They didn't have a whole lot of big signings in that era. Um, you know, which was sort of like the second Tribune era where they were just sort of focused on uh, mediocre, mediocrity by design, where, you know, they, um, they, they could be competitive. And if a couple things go right, oh, they might get in the playoffs as evidenced by what happened the following year. But then, on the other hand, uh, things can go wrong, and you have what we have in 97. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mel was a yeah, huge uh, free agent pickup. Um, yeah, they didn't do a lot of those. <laughs> he had been an excellent closer for the Expos. And so the Cubs are like, well, this is going to work. And his last year with the Expos, 1996. Why is this thing moving on me? Give me a lot of me looking stuff up, folks. So get used to this, as if you're not well, very used to it. He you, where's the saves? Jesus Christ, thirty-six saves for the '96 Expos. Um, okay, but that was only. See, he had been John Wetland's setup man, right? So he Until was only Wetland a full-time closer for, for two seasons, yeah, '95 yeah. and '96, and he had sixty-six saves in those two years. Uh, Came Pitching to the Cubs and Tio Felipe. He almost made it a full season with the Cubs. Um, he, the whole thing. First of all, Mel Rojas's awful season actually had little to do with the Cubs' season opening fourteen game yeah, losing they, streak. They, ne- they never had a lead. He couldn't blow one. He and I don't think he did blow one. Um, they were. And not that this is an excuse because any team, you know, should not be this unprepared for the season. They opened up the season in Florida who had purchased a pennant contender and would go to the World Series that year and win the World Series with Atlanta and Atlanta, who um, whom Florida would knock out on their way to the series. Two best teams in the National League. And they played they played three at Florida. Uh, I think either two or three in Atlanta. One may have gotten rained out. I can't recall. Come home for opening day, three more with Florida, and then home, two or three more with Atlanta. Um, so you didn't expect them to get off to a great start, um, but you also didn't expect them to go, I think it was 0-10. I, I distinctly remember looking at that schedule, and they were going to play their first 10 games against the Marlins and the Braves. And thinking, Ugh, maybe they can win three. <laughs> and thinking, if you start three and seven, you can you can get out from under that. That was wildly optimistic for me. Um, it was. The thing yeah. about it, though, was well, I guess not. The first two games they lost, they lost four to two and four to three. Um, actually, how about this? Here are the winning pitchers in those ten games: Kevin Brown. Al Leiter. Al Leiter. Alex Fernandez. Alex Fernandez. Are you looking at it? Because no, I'm not. I'm not looking at it. I can remember that. Oh shit! Now, yes, you got the, all three of those right. Now, if you get this one right, right, I'll give you a million dollars. 
was it Kevin Millwood or Denny Nagel? It was Brad Klontz. Okay, well, so he won in relief. So they pissed yeah. one game away. That could have been a, a, a Melrose Hospital. They lost five to four to the uh, the Barves to go. Over. And then they and then they probably lost to the Barves number five starter before running right into Maddox or Glavin. I'm guessing at the end of that Atlanta leg. But did they play three in Atlanta? I believe they did. Right, they played three in Atlanta, and the uh, their were, last two starters were a couple of guys that nobody. I don't know what happened. Either <laughs> of these guys, John Smoltz I mean, and Greg Maddox. Did the Braves have to like go to the four man rotation that early? <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously, they had, they had off days. I know, I know, and you'd be dumb not to. It just oh, uh, all right. So they face Kevin Brown, Al Later, Alex Fernandez, who was still very good. I think he was just signed a free agent deal, and he was in his prime. And then, of course, Hall of Famers, and Kevin Brown is probably an arguable Hall of Famer. But Maddox and Glavin are. And then what happens? They go, they come home to face Florida. They might avoid Brown and Lighter. But not both of them, I'm guessing. Just one. They got they lighter and lighter. they got Alex Fernandez again, and they lost. Oh, they still got it. They yeah, lost yeah. five to three, and Frank Castillo lost to uh, Alex Fernandez one nothing. I remember that game, and I can tell you to some go. details. The oh, Cubs were being the Cubs were being no hit in that game into the ninth inning. And this is this is just. I wonder if you could find this in 2021. It's such an otherwise insignificant game, but I was at work. Working for my boss Jimmy, who was who owned the company, he was a big Cubs fan, so it was okay that we we're in the back watching watching this game on a black and white TV, trying to get the the signal. Uh, Cubs are about to go zero and nine. They're losing one to nothing, and the, and Fernandez in his return to Chicago because he'd been a White Sox pitcher for five years, pitched in the playoffs for him, takes a no hitter. I'm sure it was in the ninth, and I don't remember all the players involved. Jose Hernandez was one of them because I remember at some point what happened was no hitter got broken up. And then, like, somebody laid down a bunt that Fernandez misplayed, but then Jose Hernandez circled third base too far, and, and he got picked off. <laughs> so so they, they go from, oh, we're going to be 0-9 and no hit. Oh, no hitter's over. Oh, we might finally win a game. And then, no, no, you can't run the bases. Uh, you're out. And that made it 0-9. And then here comes Atlanta again. Well, in that, and... let's, let's pause for a second. So in that one nothing loss, this is a, quite a box score. <laughs> for the Marlins, one run on seven hits and four errors. <laughs> for the Cubs, no runs on one hit. All he got was one goddamn hit yep. and no errors. Yes. The errors the were on inning. Edgar Renneria. Oh, wait, I'm going to read the wrong okay. thing. The errors were well, on Greg Zahn, two on Edgar Renteria, and ace third baseman, Bobby Bonilla. Jeff Conine? Uh, Bobby Bonilla was Bobby their third Bo. baseman. Conine was playing first. Ah, uh, okay. So for, they're like, here, we feel bad for you. Just win a game. And no, no, that's okay. We're going to let you tag us out as we round the bases. Um, yeah, so the, ni- so the ninth inning against Alex went the route. So the ninth inning. Uh, Dave Clark struck out swinging. Dave Clark five. Dave Hansen single to the pitcher. Jose yeah, pitch ran for Dave Hansen. That's how he got on. Okay, that's what it was. Brian McKay reached on Bonilla's error. Um, Hernandez the second. Then Brant Brown. A year before, he had all of his heroics, and then uh, his identity right. all in the same year. And about a year after, he had a two homer game when he came up in '96. He reached on a ground ball. He reached on an error to to Renteria, and then you don't see this much. It says Brown to first, McCray to second, Hernandez out at 
third base slash shortstop. Yeah, I mean, because it, yeah, it wasn't a force out. It's 6-5 was the scoring, right? Shortstop to third baseman, I'm assuming. So Renteria doesn't make the play. It looks like it the went. It actually loaded. looks like it went Bonilla to Renteria, back to Bonilla. The old 5-6-5, five, five, which you see all the time. I, I'd have to look at a video now. I and then it I, ended I with re- Ryan Sandberg. Oh, yeah, who, you know, with probably it. shouldn't have come back. Yeah, so 0-9. And they now, you st- but guess what? You still got to face who now in Atlanta. Atlanta's coming to town. Oh, well, you know, they- at 0 9, or actually, Fernandez made him 0 8. The ninth game was, was the Braves' oh, fifth starter. And who was that? A former Cub. Uh, a, a, a future Cub or a, a form, former Cub? A for- he had already been a Cub before. Oh, my he gosh. And it wasn't Greg Maddox. His nickname obviously- was the Style Master. Oh my God! I'm not the style master. Uh, now I really feel bad. He I pitched the best me. game of the 1989 playoffs. Oh, Mike Balecki. Mike Balecki. 1990 opening day starter, Mike Balecki. He outdueled. Uh, I don't know who started, but Bob Patterson took the loss in relief, two to one. So here are some of the scores in this ignominious start: four to two, four to three, five to four, five mm-hmm. to three, one to nothing, two to one. Yeah. The next They're game, close. 0 and 10, the winner. You know things are going bad. You're 0 and 10, and two of the losses are to Brad Klontz. Wow. Turk, Brad, Turk, Brad Wendell. Klontz. Turk Wendell took the loss in number 10. Turk, who would ultimately become the closer, I believe, uh, when Mohas lost the job. So I then I can tell you that I went to the Saturday game, and that I was just full of rage at the end and alcohol and uh, just trying to get everybody in the bleachers to – you know, I don't know, burn Ed Lynch and effigy. I was, I was done. I'm like, how can this keep going on? It was cold. It was Kenny Lofton was a brave. I remember trying to heckle him and, you know, just, just, you know, I'm 25. I, I'm living in the city. I was supposed to, you know, I'm finally, yeah, it's supposed to not be like this. And I'm just going to the game and just getting absolutely annoyed. And uh, yeah, just painful, painful. And I think the Sunday game was rained out. So thankful, mercifully. So they lose Friday and Saturday. I think the Glavin pitched on the Saturday. It looks like they didn't play on Friday. Must have got rained out because they played okay. Thursday. Then they only played Saturday, Sunday. Unless they had yes, yeah, no, that's they went out of day. They were they, they were scheduled for twelve games, and there was one rain out. I couldn't remember if it was in Atlanta or Wrigley. Was it Wrigley? They got all three in Atlanta. Got swept. So then, so. mercifully. You're done with the Braves. Here come the Rockies, right? Here come the Rockies, who are about to have their first so, winning season ever. I was, I can tell you something so insignificant, but I remember with enough detail to share that I was going on my lunch break or something from work and listening to the game, Virgil Patrick Hughes, and Mark Grace was alongside of him because, as I said, Grace had pulled his hamstring uh, on, the, on, on, the, uh, on the opening season road trip. So they don't even have Grace. Um, and, and he, so he, he joins Pat in the booth. Oh, Mark, maybe you can bring us some good luck today. And what I remember listening to was, uh, you're going to have to pull up the Colorado. It's the next game. It was a day game because they still would often play, uh, multiple day games in a series, but they had some sort of a blunder that was even worse than Jose Hernandez rounding third and getting picked off. Um, and I can't remember if it was on, I think it was like a, a, f- a missed 
squeeze bunt or something. It was just like, it just kept getting worse. Like there's no bottom. And for the light now, I, I thought I could recall exactly what it was. And like, um, you know, Pat Hughes is usually a pretty good propaganda minister. You know, he's pretty good about putting lipstick on a pig and really not letting you know how awful it is and doing his best to be sad and not angry. Um, he was, I think Grace was getting annoyed himself. It was just, you know, it's like at this point, it's like the season's just about over, you know? So, so in this, so the, the, uh, this Tuesday game, the 10, seven loss, this will give you a window into just how bad this team was. Here's the batting. This is the starting lineup. Brian McRae leading off in center, Brant Brown, rookie Brant Brown batting second and playing first base. God love him, maybe my favorite Cub of all time. Sean Dunstan is Bet batting third. third. The fourth place hitter is Samuel Peralta Sosa. The one, even he was having a rough year himself, but he was the only real player. But they listen to this, this juggernaut, five, six, seven. Brooks Kieschnick, yes, Kevin Ory, and Scott Sirs. Hey, man. It wasn't long after that, Andy, where Brooks Kieschnick had a two-homer game, so you might want to you might want to step off. Uh, he had um, he had six total bases in this game, double and he did, yes. And yet, and yet, so they were already because I don't think well Kieschnick may have been on the team here's the, opening. Here's game. the just the bad the batting averages of the uh, of the eight guys starting the game for the Cubs. One and, and of course. These are batting averages at this point in the season, yes, right? That you're right. reading the box score. One forty six, one fifty four, one sixty seven. No, I'm sorry, I skipped. I threw Tyler Houston in there. He pinch hit for Brant Brown. He was hitting a robust one sixty seven off the bench. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Sean was hitting one twenty eight. Sammy one seventy nine. Kieschnick a red hot two fifty. Kevin Ory ah. two twenty six. This might be his highest it ever was for him. Scott Service one thirty three. And he also had a slugging percentage of 133. And Jose Hernandez, the star of stars, had a slash line of 375, 444, 750. So, of course, he's batting eighth. Of course. So, I did find, I'm looking, I'm now look, pulled up, I pulled up the game because it was killing me exactly what kind of like dumb fuckery was going on in the first inning. And you can kind of get a clue if you read the play-by-play in the top of the first, whereupon future Cub Eric Young flies out to lead the game. Quentin McCracken, no relation to Phil, to right, he gets on. Larry Walker's up. McCracken steals second, advances to third on the throw. All right, so he's at third. Larry Walker's still up, one out. Larry Walker, strikeout swinging, catcher to first base. McCracken scores. So I think what, what, that's what it was. It was it was like a it was a it was just a drop third strike and a run score. So it just sort of, you know, it was emblematic of it was Murphy's law. Um, I mean, you know, those lineups didn't help, but it was just and and it continued. Didn't end. Didn't end with that homestand. So they go zero and six on the road, and they come home and go zero and seven. So. You know, they come home zero and six, right? You're like, oh, thank God they're home. Yep. Oh, come on, let's make let's make some hay while the sunshine. Time for some home cooking. Probably going to go six and zero at home. The be five hundred. Right. They're before like, we head off to New York, they're getting into a cab to go to O'Hare, and they're like, I still haven't won a goddamn game. So yeah, the uh, after being swept by the uh, Roy, or by the Rockies, they were a cool zero and twelve. 
Oh, just 12. Is that it? Is that right? I'm sorry. Yes. I had it wrong. Though. 12. Okay. Six on the road, six at home. And they were off to New York where mercifully the Friday night game was rained out. No. Oh, that's right. That's right. So they got a much needed day's day's rest, which meant that they could come back refreshed on Saturday and lose six to three. So they scheduled a doubleheader for Sunday. So yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember one time. Star it was a. It was a yes, it was Sunday, but it made sense because it was a wraparound series. They were already scheduled to stay through That's right. Monday. So Sunday That's was it. the ideal time to have the doubleheader. I do recall listening to the Saturday game as I was driving through traffic in the city, and it was like the sort of the emergence of a of a once a fleeting star, Edgardo Edgardo Alfonso. You might recall, pretty good player for a couple of years. I, I know he did some damage to him. Uh, I believe on the Saturday game. I could be wrong, but um, or son, I don't know. Maybe not. I'm not seeing him in that lineup. But um, another another Cubs loss. So, 14. So one of the most famous aspects in hindsight now of this terrible start, other than the fact that the Cubs were literally out of the pennant race before you had to turn in your taxes. <laughs> it's just they really were. They were. They were. How about this? On tax day, six and a half games out of first already. But they would they would bump those numbers up by the twenty fourth of April, ten and a half games out. Is that so, the fastest any team has ever been double digits well, out of first place? We're gonna go. We're gonna take this a little bit further because. Yeah, because you brought up Mel Rojas. And so now we have to bring in that of all those games we covered, we didn't really go into detail in all of them, but none of us recall Rojas blowing any of those games, right? So finally, on the back end of the doubleheader, right, they lose the first game to actually go in 14, I believe, right? So now they play the second game. And, of course, they can't blow a team out. In fact, they're losing late. They're about to go in 15. They score a couple in the seventh. Uh, or they weren't losing late. They they, they score a couple on the six, go up two one. They get a couple more. They're kind of coasting, but you know you got to get that win in. So now ninth inning, here comes Cubs, you know, highly prized free agent signing uh, Mel Rojas here to you know nail down the save and uh, you know and turn things around uh, for the Cubs. Mel Rojas proceeded to face one batter. Hmm. Before uh, I don't even know he got an out. He did get an out, huh. and I see. Yeah, he pulled a hamstring or something. It was like, oh, great. I mean, you know, I know he wasn't getting action, but uh, you know, I think he had a responsibility to maybe be in better shape than he was. I don't know. So yeah, they got to hurry up. Turk Wendell, who you know, the oddball Turk, been on the team for a few years by now. Um, kind of a swing man comes in to nail down the save, but not, but not before. Uh, giving up two runs. I don't even remember if the bases were loaded. He faced six batters, <laughs> so he comes in with one out. <laughs> he faces six batters, meaning four of them uh, he did not retire. So two scored, and he must have had two on base, just to make it interesting. And then, uh, But the Cubs won the next day, so it's like, all right, 2-14. and 14. They come home, they lose two more um, to the Pirates, and I remember just going to a game and – they were two and seventeen. I'm like, what's worse is zero and fourteen's baby. You're two and seventeen, and and in that game, I think they they blew it. The, Rojas finally did blow his first game. The young Jason Kendall um, had a big hit late and 
turn the game around. And yeah, I mean, it didn't matter. Like you said, by tax day, it's, it's over, but it got a little bit worse. It, the one thing that does amaze me is that they didn't lose a hundred games. I mean, you lose 17 out of your first 19, um, you know, how do you not, uh, start setting records. They only that, lost 94. That was one of the amazing things about the century of Cub ineptness was, I think they only lost 100 games three times. Uh-huh. And and not until the 60s. I think, or uh, twice, I think they did it twice, either once in the 60s, once in the 50s, and then in Theo's first year. Yeah. It well, happened. That was all part the, of the master plan. Theo only was. lost games on purpose. <clears throat> and it was. But like I, I said, I said the term I used was, was and I'm gonna, I'm going to come back to it as we do future ones because it's just to give the context. But it was there, the Cubs were in the throes of what I call mediocrity, mediocrity by design, and that's evidenced by the fact that in spite of that awful start, they didn't lose 100 games. They weren't really awful. They just never stood a chance of being competitive for the longest time. Um, and you know, and that, that sort of began about halfway through or about a third of the way through Tribune's ownership where they sort of shifted gears. Um, and you know, like, like I said, from 1992, basically until, uh, they sold the team to Sam Zell, they were very sort of carefully calibrated to put a team out there that was, you know, on paper, you know, maybe okay. Um, and if they got, like I said, if the ball bounces the right way, if you just look at the nineties, you know, they, they didn't get eliminated to the second to last day of the season in 95, they squeak into the wild card in 98. They go to the playoffs in 03 with only 88 wins. All right. So they had decent teams and things went right. But then when things go bad, you have seasons like 1997. Yeah. Yes. In their long storied history, they've never lost more than 103 games. And they've only lost 100 games three times. 1966, 1962, and 2012. So now, they've lost 90 games uh, oh. a lot. <laughs> I, that's, a long, that's a long at least, list. At least 10 times. But not 100. The Cubs aren't going to bottom out on you. They're just going to be... Uh, this is going to be bad. They're not going to be true. Yeah. Yeah. We've never... We've had one... Uh, uh, number one pick in the draft in the history of the amateur draft. But he was the best one ever. Yes, good old number 12. Yes. Good old number, number 12. 12. Good old, uh, so I have a book here. So I have to have a bookmark. And the bookmark is, oh, look who it is. Ah, oh, uh, there he is. Two-time All-Star. Two-time yeah. All-Star. And he was on the 97 Cubs. Um, yes, he came back. sad watching. He came back. He So he had already left. He left. Uh, you know, I always, when I think about Sean Dunstan and I, you know, you joke around, I know you really did like him, you know, but I think I can speak honestly when I say that, uh, as, as someone that was, you know, really his, you know, his entire art, the arc of his entire career really sort of came within my observational wheelhouse being as it was, you know, a, a rather sports, sports, sports obsessed 13 year old, you know, through most of his career. And I would say, um, uh, he was a, a good player, he had a nice career, but for Cubs fans, he was, you know, ultimately kind of a disappointment. Um, he was the first pick in the draft out of out of Brooklyn. He didn't go to college, so it took him a while to come up, and he got called up kind of early in 1985. Yeah, he got uh, called up because Larry Boa was a well. You know, Larry Boa. You know, Larry Bow was 39 years old in 1985. I I, I, I never knew that, that in 1984, the 
comes actually had a 38 year old shortstop. Oh, he played like four it. foot three. Well, <laughs> I know, but they wasn't, was they wasn't 96 games. Larry Boa was terrible. <laughs> well, I'm not going to defend Larry Boa. I'm no, just but I, you, if you're the Cubs and you know Larry Boa is terrible and you have. Couldn't you have found a stopgap shortstop so you didn't have to rush? I, they tried Tom Verizer in 84. <laughs> he wore the same – Fry liked him because they wore the same glasses. Oh. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, he was an old tiger, too. I suppose Fry may have remembered him from that. But so, All right, here's Larry Boa. Uh, Larry Boa in 1984. He had 223, but at least, at least he got on base. 274. Oh, wait. <laughs> but at least he slugged. 269. He played 133 games, and his That's slugging incredible. was lower than his on-base one. Carlos Zambrano probably had higher OPSs in some seasons than he, he did. He didn't strike out, though, although um, yeah. a yeah. lot of times he wished he would. Also didn't ground into double plays. He must have popped up all the time. I don't, um, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna talk about Larry, a Larry Boa game that happened in 1985, where he actually won on a suicide bunt on, with two strikes after falling off like well, five that's fine. Pitches, that's the but... one thing he could do was bunt. Yeah. Um, now, I'm sure and when we get to the 80s, we'll have, we have plenty of time to talk about this. One of my favorite memories about Larry was in, a, in 85, he started wearing glasses. And I distinctly remember Harry saying, well, he has, he's got glasses now. The ball must look like a beach ball to him. <laughs> <laughs> Found out he couldn't hit a beach ball either. Didn't matter. <laughs> So, yeah, they didn't have a stopgap. That was one mistake. Uh, I'll speak highly of Dallas Green throughout the next 30-some-odd podcast because it's one of the underpinnings of, of you know, of how I view this time. But uh, they did, uh, I think, that, and, and you know, I don't want to put all the blame on the Couldn't Cubs. could they and have I, traded for, uh, oh, what was the game? <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, you could see the, you could see the, um, you could see the Cubs and the Braves because of the Superstations. Gladmother Hubbard? No, he was a second so, baseman. Oh, Rafael Rafael Ramirez. For whatever reason, Rafael Ramirez. That was the, I yeah. always liked him. Like, oh, they should get Rafael Ramirez. I was more of a Gerald Perry fan myself. <laughs> Not really. So, so Dunstan, you know, he was a two-time All-Star at one point, and legitimately, maybe a little bit overhyped, but he was what? sort of neck and neck with Barry Larkin as like the premier shortstop. And um, but a he never are you gonna hit say, a curveball. Are you going to go with the flimsy argument that Barry Larkin was a better shortstop than Sean Dunstan just because Barry Larkin is a Hall of Famer? And Sean just going isn't. Is that going to be your argument, <laughs> Mr. Smart Guy? That just because one guy goes to the Hall of Fame and the other guy yeah, doesn't, yeah. that the guy who goes to the Hall of Fame is better? Well, Whatever. In all seriousness, I, I do, right. Well, I do point that out only because Larkin, of course, was a Hall of Famer. But at one point, I you know, I think I when, when the comparisons were being made, in my heart, I knew Larkin was a better player. But I was like, yeah, let's hype up Sean. So, yeah, he was an all-star, I want to say, in 88 and 90. Um, but he never really took the next level as a hitter. He couldn't cut down on laying off the goddamn breaking ball in the dirt with two strikes. And then injuries took a toll. I mean, he was an exciting player. So he did, he did provide intangibles. Uh, one of my favorite moments with Dunstan was he missed like a year and a half. He was, he was in their opening day lineup in 91 or 92. And then he got hurt, missed all of 92 and missed all of 93. And they're out of it. And he comes back for a game and, you know, he's older now. Right. So he's like, you know, he's still only 29 or 30, but he was already, I think the injury is almost like 
not like Gale Sayers, but I, he was already losing his effectiveness in that department. But um, in a late, meaningless game in September, he somehow came all the way around from first on just a couple of pitches and like scored the win- winning run. He was he was just trying to get his legs out from under him, and Harry was excited. I just it was a really cool moment. Like, man, that's you know. But you're already almost feeling sad. And he was only like 29 or 30, and um, and he you know he kept kind of getting injured. He stayed with the Cubs to 95 left. Went to the Giants and saw so on the 1997 version he had come back and by then he was not he was just a different type of a player right he proved to have some value as a as a journeyman I think as a, or as an older uh, player I mean he hit a homer in the World Series for his the Giants last, his last at bat in baseball should have been a home run that won the World Series but Dusty but left, Dusty fun uh, he 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 left the guy in or pulled him out pulled him out Russ Ortiz. He uh he took Russ Ortiz out and let him have the ball. Remember that? Gave him the yes. game ball on the mound. Yes, yes. And then he did the opposite thing with the Cubs by leaving it. Right. Guy that's why he ball. wouldn't take Mark Pryor out. He's like, I'm not doing that again. It's like, all yeah, right, this is not how this works. <laughs> it's not like, oh, I fucked that up last right. time. I'm do the exact opposite. That'll work. No, the the situations aren't the same. Anyway, you know, I, plenty of time I, to pick on Dusty. Here's one thing I don't get. So who supposedly who's the last guy to hit 400 in the major leagues? Supposedly, well, Ted Williams, obviously, it's right? not it's because in it says right here in black and white in 1993, Sean Dunstan hit 400 oh. on the nose. <laughs> I know it was only 10 at bats, but he, had he went four for 10. Yeah, he hit 315 in 1992. Huh? Of course, and, that was that, only three at bats, but still, yeah. Do you so, remember yeah, he how he hurt saying, himself? No, but it had to be serious. I was a little he bit screwed up. He, he needed back surgery. He hurt himself. Now, this is ironic. Um, he was taking future major leaguer Sean Dunstan Jr.'s car seat out of yeah. the car, and he threw out his back, and he ruptured yeah. a disc and had to have back surgery. Wow. And that was basically the end of his full-time productivity. It really, It really was. That was it. He was never the same player. But he was. He he fa- he fancied a pretty long career as a utility he player. He, he played he played some re- center field for the yep. uh, Indians. And I remember my dad he spent a year. In the 80s. He spent two why don't, stints. Why don't they put him in center? Huh? My dad used to say it in the Dunstan center. Oh, my dad just wanted to pitch. <laughs> you see that Anthony Ghost the. Um, Blue Jay, he was an outfielder with this incredible arm, couldn't hit. And Never heard him. he's now in their bullpen, and he literally he throws like 98 miles an hour. Yeah. They wow. really told him all the time, so you should pitch. He said, like, I don't want to pitch. And then when they realized he was about to be kicked out of baseball because he couldn't hit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's good. He's a legitimately good relief pitcher. Holy cow. I didn't, I didn't even know about him. Wow. So that's a pretty good segue to we've mentioned him already. But the left fielder on that Cub team, well, he didn't get the most at bats in left field. Okay, well, it would be a troika of let's see, Brooks Kieschnick, maybe uh, throwing a little Robin Jennings. Was he uh, a '97 Cub? Uh, and, he was. Uh, all Brent, of the and Brent, all the all the stars we heard about all the time. <laughs> Terrell Brent Lowry. Oh, good old Terrell Lowry. Who, who Robin Jennings. That? Robin the Jennings. The guy who got the most games in left field, Doug Glanville. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I liked Glanville. He hit 300. Uh, he did hit in 300. 474 at bats, so he then, legitimately and, hit 300. 
And then the Cubs traded him for Mickey Morandini, and I was upset until Morandini had an ice season. The dandy little glove man. He was. Uh, I had forgotten Doug Lanville was one of the few bright. He was actually, I would consider the bright spot. He had, he had a decent career um, and almost helped the Cubs clinch a pennant in his old age. Like, you know, he came back like Sean Dunstan. Yeah, but Brooks, uh, Brooks Kieschnick, who the yeah. the Cubs drafted to much fanfare. He was a, he was a, he was a power hitting outfielder and closer for the University of Texas. Yep. And all the smart teams had him as a first-round grade on him as a pitcher. And Except the Cubs had eyes. one on him as an outfit. <sighs> and he did, They well, they retarded his growth. He, he was relatively productive for a few years with the Brewers, being a relief pitcher and a pinch hitter. Later on. But that's, until, a, yeah. that's a tricky thing because um, you've got him in the bullpen and then obviously you need a pinch hit and, you know, they, get, they literally have to stop the game, and he runs gonna, through the outfield to get like, to the like dugout. Todd, like Todd Coffey of the Reds, you remember that weirdo that would sprint to the to the mound out of the bullpen? Um, so I have to own up to I, I took a shot at the White Sox, which I will do uh, almost just sort of reflexively throughout the course of uh, these podcasts. But yeah, I sort of um, derive some Schadenfreude out of the fact that the Cubs got the best years out of uh, Kevin Tappany and Jaime Navarro while flipping Navarro back to the Sox. Well, uh, it, it always embittered me that Larry Himes in four successive drafts as general manager of the White Sox selected Jack McDowell, um, Robin Ventura, Frank Thomas, and the aforementioned Alex Fernandez. And then he comes to the Cubs and he drafts Brooks Kieschnick. Well, because we found out that the Cubs were pick- taking the guy he really wanted. And he's had to settle for those guys. In 90, like, oh, I really wanted it. Ty Griffin. I'll have to sell for Rob Ventura. Oh, I really wanted Earl Cunningham. Right. I guess he I'll have just to sell pantsing. for Frank he Thomas. Was just pant- I really want. He was just pantsing Jim Fry. Is that what you were saying? <laughs> Lance Dixon. Yeah, they probably had intelligence on Dixon's arm and didn't tell. You know, let so Fry I remember have. my. I remember my dad being very mad when the Cubs took Ty Griffin in '88, simply because. ESPN show in the College World Series. And Rob Ventura yeah. has like a 70-game hitting streak. Some ridiculous. 71 games, I want to and say. And the Cubs had had this gaping hole at third base since Ron Santo had left. Except for the two years of Bill Madlock. But, um, Correct. Yeah, you could say Madlock. No, he, was, to... he was legitimately great. And then P.K. Wrigley uh, didn't like who uh, we know. Didn't right. like who Bill I just, was uh, dating. Of, of course, and that's Wrong. true. But I'm just... Right, I know. All the more, all the more reason to draw the line at Madlock and not Santa, especially because he came right after Santa. But oh, anyway, long, so anyway, long, at least long, it's Madlock. They had this, this nothing, this big wad of nothing with a couple years of tiny little Ron Say waddling around. Yes, um, yes. One of which Vance was good. One of which was good. You're forgetting the All Star third baseman in 1988. Yes. My Vance friend. Law had a good two months in 1988. Somehow got him on the All Star team, and then. Yeah. What, Whitey Herzog put by, him on the team. By mid-1989, they were having to trade for a then-binocular-visioned Luis Salazar. Luis Salazar, yep. yep. Um, but yeah, it's like, they, he, that's the guy. You need that guy. And then yes. for years, we watched Robin be very good. So I never actually... I had never crossed paths with that thought, and I'm glad because it would have taken some years off my life in my younger years, after especially after Ventura really established himself with the Sox. So it's a fact that Ty Griffin was drafted ahead of Robin Ventura. Is that a fact? 
I believe. I'm going to assume it is. No, Your dad I believe. Not... Yes, the Cubs could have had Robin. They took. Uh, they took Ty. Thank you. And so Ty Griffin was an outfielder. Second base. He uh, he was he what wait no he couldn't have been a second baseman. I he thought was Todd Walker baseman. was. The... That was the other thing thought... that stupefied everyone. Wait a second. I I thought for years Todd Walker was the only player drafted as second because all second basemen I assumed were drafted as shortstops. There's no way. I don't think so. I don't think uh, he played second I... base at the Georgia Institute of Technology, better known as Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. So it's not like he was hidden. He That's was the, horrible. He you was can't the ninth even play pick. shortstop. What are you? Yeah, no, it didn't make any sense. It made none. Guess how many picks I, he got taken ahead of Robin Ventura? This is going to make it. Even... I don't even. I don't even want. I'm already furious that I never knew he was drafted as a goddamn second baseman. One. <sighs> Just one. one. Yeah. Socks are right behind. Quite the, the uh, Andy Bennis went number one. Steve Avery went number three. Greg draft. Greg with two G, the catcher Olson. Olson. Yeah. Greg with two G. Jim Abbott went right before Ty Griffin. Hey, he had a nice career, another big ten player. He did. Drafted after uh, those guys. Tino Martinez, Royce Clayton. Wow. That's a pretty productive. Rico Bronia, Ed Sprague, Alex Fernandez. I'm uh, so Fernandez got picked right by the Brewers, didn't sign. Baseball Amanek has the information. He was drafted as a second baseman. Brian oh my god. I, I, I am just re- I, I'm just renewing my hatred. Yeah, I'm okay. sorry. I, those are still good still. names. Brian Make Jordan is a great two-way player. It's just I, I, I'm so renewing my hatred, my anger towards the, pick made the no uh, sense deceased level. Jim Fry. Well, I, I, they pointed out after he busted out and maybe could have predicted, well, you know, he had an aluminum bat in college. He never adjusted to wood. I don't know if that was a thing or not. That was right? actually part of the knock on Robin. Mm. But so then the guy they take – is also a college player who uses aluminum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't that. It was that he just sucked and they overscouted him. Um, wow. All right, we're going to have a lot to say over the intervening months about Jim Fry and, you know, Dallas Green. And uh, let's just say, just to give you the Cliff Notes version for now, we'll go into a deeper dive. Big fan of Dallas Green. Um, but Jim Fry really set the franchise back when he was our general manager. And um, we've I've unearthed something tonight that I did not previously know that only further cements that. So, so I was going to say one of the things that the 97 season became um, famous for in hindsight was um, Dave Kaplan was on Sports Central with uh, – yeah, I used to listen to it. That would have been Tommy Waddle. Tommy Waddle was there in 97. 97? Was he already working? Usually I thought the ballplayers took a couple years off before they jumped back into the fray. Okay. He, he needed a job. He made. He was a He was a he undrafted did. part-time wide yeah. receiver. He didn't want, he didn't want to waste that cue factor. probably bagging groceries at the Jewels. <laughs> um, okay. Made a bet after when they were like 0-5. That he would go sleep in the WGN van across from Wrigley. I remember that. I remember until that until the Cubs won a game, and mm-hmm. then they just kept losing and losing. I'm sure the and one so, nothing game made his little bald. He had hair. <laughs> Wait, uh, I, I want to have I'm made sure, his hair fall out of his head. I'm sure you could ask, reach out to Cap and ask if he remembers the details. But I'm going to assume. Oh, I can do better that than was, that. I was probably. Uh, go ahead. I'll just link to this. They're on Decipio, yes. there is a fake oral history of the '97 Cubs, but yes. All the Dave Kaplan quotes are real, and he tells the Got story. It. Got it. Because I'm just going to surmise that it was a opening day stunt. 
because they came home 0 and six. Oh, probably. So that's and he, great... the, he, he says in the thing, he said, "I thought maybe they'd lose a game or two. I'd spend a couple <laughs> nights in the van. Ha ha ha." That just now, now and I'm the laughing. rain out apparently almost drove him. Like he was starting to lose it. And he still has he's like, okay. Playing the Mets, the Mets aren't that good. They're going to win. And then he watches it rain. Well, and now well, they're not going to play. Okay. He's got another day in the van. Well, you know there there were two rainouts, which you know. But what's worse, a, ra- a rainout's got to be worse because in your head, if you're an optimist, you assume they're going to win. But they had the rainout at Wrigley the Friday against the Braves, and then another rainout the following Friday on the road against the Mets. So yeah, I think a rainout will drive you crazy because you're inclined to think that that's the day it's it's going to end. However, a loss when you're hoping that that's the day it's going to end. And it doesn't. Uh, I don't think there are any good choices there. So um, I'm at least now laughing instead of like you know I'm just just the thought now of the Cubs getting into that cab to the airport. Well, like at the end of that road trip, and Dave Kaplan's still stuck in his camper. All right. Um, so, now, so so here are some oddities about the '97 Cubs. Um, so they they finished '68 '94. Now you you're familiar obviously with of the what the Pythagorean win loss record is mm-hmm. you take mm-hmm. you take uh, the runs you score and the runs you allow and then the other axis right is miraculously an inexact simple formula right. to basically how many games you should, should have, have won mm-hmm. so they underachieved by six games according to Pythagoras okay. they should have been 74 and 88 which is bad but it's which not was, which terrible. is how the Tribune management in those days drew it up mediocrity <laughs> That's right. by design but this this blew me away when I just looked this up. What do you think their home record was? You know what? I do I'm gonna say it's a winning record because I went to a lot of games and they somehow won. They lost a lot of games too. I went to a lot of games. I was twenty five and it was my first year of season tickets. They were um, oh, go ahead. Well, I am gonna say uh we started I'm gonna say forty four and 37? Well, they were 42 and 39. But okay. They, they outscored their opponents by more than 40 runs. Okay. Home. On the road, not so good. 26 and 55 and got outscored by 102. A 321 winning percentage on the road. Do you think they had a winning month? Um, I would almost think they would have to have had one to finish with only 94 losses after starting two and 17. They had two. Okay. May, wow. they were 15 and 13, and they got right. hot in September and went 13 and 12. All right, maybe not that hot. Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> Way to put a cherry on top June of the June and July summer. were a little rough, where they went a combined 22 and 34. They were 11 and 17 in both but months. Even that is not horrible. That was, what, year three of interleague play? They no, dominated. year one. No. 90, oh, that's right, 97 ones. I went to a game Here's, this year. I saw him play the Brewers. Well, and that and that was you ruined my trivia question for you, but you already knew it. Oh. Who was their first interleague opponent? Right, they're now know. division kids rival. today. Well, and, well, and, and it's been so long ago. That was the only year, right? The Brewers joined in time for Brant Brown to drop a ball the next season. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, interleague play were nine and six. Yeah, the day that the Chicago Bulls won title number five. Uh, over Utah, the first victory over Utah. Uh, that was the one time that I went, decided to go down to Grant Park, went with a buddy, and uh, it was the same day as what would become the first Cubs Sox game. Mm. It was like it was like my most Chicago day ever, ever, because we watched this rally, and my buddy and I went down to uh, the, the Billy Goat underneath Michigan Avenue. I had actually never been there before, 
had a burger, a few beers, jumped on the red line, and the Cubs and Sox actually played a day game to kick all that off, you might remember. Brian McRae started things off with a double down the yeah, line. We the, were like, the Cubs had to wear those ridiculous yeah, old navy yeah, blue yeah. uniforms that looked like they were 4,000 right. degrees in. That's right. Um, but, yeah, Cubs beat him. Uh Cubs actually lost the next two, you know, and then back then, the first two years of interleague play, they did a home and home. They only played one series. And uh, Uncle Jerry was like, uh, no, I would really like to have that Wrigley Field yes, revenue. Every exactly. year. So we're going to the only reason that you still have to play your rival twice is because of Jerry Reinsdorf. Is that true? Really across the other, like New York's don't really care. It's not, a, it's a different scenario for them right. in LA. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think in either of those cities you have you would have had such a disparity. I think so uh, between. Yeah. They, this is interesting. So in one run games, they were pretty good. They were twenty four and twenty six. In blowouts, they were nineteen and twenty. So okay. it was every game in between that they were terrible in. Uh huh. So it's like a game a game that you're if, like, if you if you kept it real close. You yeah. probably, you know, they had a little better chance to beat them. If it was five runs or more, they were going to be in it. But anything from two runs to four, you were going to beat the Cubs every time. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of imagine it like close games, and then like a team just always gets that backbreaking sixth and seventh inning run. I'm sure there was a whole variety. I'm sure there wasn't one way. Um, I, I, I just in my met because this is what we're doing here and we're trying to keep it on 1997 uh, as much as we can. But I have a memory of a uh, of a Mel Rojas plot because so far my only negative Mel Rojas. Well, no, I did mention that he blew the save of the game that I was at that made him two and 17. Uh, but other than that, we only mentioned that he like was too fat to finish an inning and, and couldn't get a save. I remember uh, I just got my first computer. Right, it was early days of AOL, right? And I had it in my kitchen. I was single, I had a roommate, but I was in the kitchen. I had a TV in the kitchen, and I'm on the line. I'm looking over my shoulder, and uh, and I think they had a two-run lead in the ninth, and Rojas came in. This was in Philadelphia, so sometime in um, early May. Just watching the game. Harry's on the play-by-play, and uh, <laughs> just remember, Rojas just giving up an absolute bomb to Lieberthal, Philly catcher. Yes, there uh, was – they, if the they Cubs lo- had, I, I remember that because if the Cubs had won, as, as terrible it. as they had been, they were going to pull within six games of first place with plenty of season left. Are you are you for sure? Yes, you're right. Holy crap! I'm looking at it now. I remember they were five. They were actually they were five out after. Okay, that. So they were so going to so they could have pulled in four. You're uh, legitimately in it, no matter what your record is. If you're only four games out of well, first. Well, oh man, that was that. So there's a reason I remember it. It was it was it was soul crushing because yeah going into the game, uh, the Cubs were twenty four and thirty three nine under not great all right Phillies were twenty and thirty seven so they weren't even that good anyway, uh, so they're nine under but they were as we established at one point two and seventeen all right so what's the date on that so, game? Uh, the date on that game is June fifth nineteen ninety seven because I was going to say if you uh, were in nineteen ninety seven if you were watching the game and you were on your computer. Had it been July 24th or later, you yes. could have been on Decipio.com. Oh! It actually wasn't Decipio yet. Wow. It was, it was Balls. Wait, right. And you mentioned that But before. I couldn't get Balls.com. Somebody owned it wanted me to pay like $10,000 for it. So I'm like, I'm not going to do that. So I right. came up with Decipio right. instead. I don't got porn money. That's right. 
Balls.com. Balls.com. Um, so wait. Uh, so at your earliest enterprise, Andy, was actually this season, right? 1997? Yes. Oh, I mean, think about it. Why wouldn't you be all excited to start right, writing about right, sp- right. sports when the Cubs start 0-14? <laughs> right. And we talked about this on a Bears cast. The Bears also started 0-7. Mm-hmm. And I had and I had an inkling, and I looked it up. And I remember the Hawks. I know that you know, you're not you know, uh, writing about the Hawks as much as the other ones. But they mm-hmm. also, like, did not – they got points, but they didn't get an actual win in, like, their first 14 games. But you know – wasn't for the Bulls right. winning at all, right. um, that would have been easily the worst season in Chicago sports. Right. The Bulls won the championship for the final time in no. May. No. 97-98. Yes. They begot, they be, that's right. You got to cover that. Yep. Yeah. They yeah. had just yeah. won number five a month before I started, and they won number six. Yes. Yes. And then, that, hey, at least that. And I was writing about basketball. Actually, I was writing okay. for onhoops.com. That's right. And Discipio was simply me like learning how to build a website. And then I started to put other so like my bit my basketball stuff went down hoops. I started writing about the other stuff on Discipio. So Got it. Got it. All the other crazy shit in your head. <laughs> Alright, so now one of the things we should do every time we do one of these is zip through the roster at some of the ridiculous names that pop out. Um uh, let me pull let me pull one up. Go ahead. This would have been our first I think our first glimpse at the dumbest player in baseball history, Manny Alexander. I mean, uh, Ronnie Cedeno is pretty close, but I think Manny, just looking at him, yes. dumbest. Ronnie looked yes. like a guy who, who you could confuse. You couldn't confuse Manny because he was too dumb to be confused. Well, okay, both have incidences that we can maybe explore. I don't know if it's scientific to really gauge. Who, well, Ronnie you know. is the only guy I've ever seen who got thrown out stealing a base on a walk. But here's what makes him stupid. Because, and just to just to describe well, he what it, happened, what, stupid. And he, he did it against Yadi Molina, and Yadi's going to get you. It was against the Cardinals. I, was it early in two? I, I don't even. I'm not even sure of the year now. Uh, damn it! We'll, we'll, I mean, again, maybe we shouldn't go over it and save it till we pull up that year, but yeah, we I'm might sure. not remember it. Well, I'm sure we'll have a whole Ronnie Cedeno podcast. But he he attempted to steal second on what was ball four, although it was a close pitch, but the ump called it a ball. The throw went down because it was so close. The catcher didn't want to risk it. And Cedeno slid and uh, and then slid past the bag. Yes, he, and over, was, he overslid the bag. Right. He overslid. But then uh, but here's the thing. is uh, That happens. But then uh, here's what clinched it for me. is After the game, he was asked about you know, the fact it was ball four, and he said, well, I don't know, I guess they changed the rules. <laughs> <laughs> so what? what's Manny's? Uh, is, is well, it being caught with a towel and $10,000 right. in it in right. a, of Sammy and, and Sosa's the, money in the lobby of a hotel in the Dominican Republic? Yeah, but you know what? Manny shut the hell up, right? Uh, he did. Didn't he? He took the fall, basically. He did. Right? Yes. And then he so, also um, he went to Boston. Okay, and he was um, peripherally on the edges of their steroid stuff too. Got it. Okay, so that I think he was just a steroid sort of mule. Side I think that's what Manny's real yeah, job. That was his side, his side hustle. Yep. He was like, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to have. I, I'm built like a fire hydrant. I, um, you know, I look like a troll. I, you He's know, a I got slightly gotta... more handsome Jose Macias. Yes, the gremlin. The gremlin. The gremlin. <laughs> Maybe the worst looking player ever. And you know, I don't think uh, I should probably clarify a, gl- a gremlin um, after it. What is f- is it fed after midnight or water? Right? Yeah. What and makes it, them? Well, he was the one that blew up in the microwave. Yes, that's what the one in particular. Yes. So okay, so Manny Alexander, ninety-seven Cub. 
good to know. Who else you got? Uh, how about Kent Battenfield? Oh, good old Kenny. This was Brockelstein, the second who, year with the Cubs. Which you know, going into those ones where uh, you sort of laugh when a guy does well for you and does horrible for another team, Amy Navarro. Um, but it hurts when it happens the other way. It's totally true for Kent Battenfield because he was sort of a back end uh, like swingman. Didn't he didn't really stand out at all. And then somehow, well, wait, I think we know how. Yeah. He ends up in St. Louis, and he's an all-star Eight. for the Cardinals. He so he that was his – what, one, two, three? That was his sixth year. 19, and he was with the Cardinals in 98, but in 99 was his big year. 99 was mm-hmm. his sixth season in the big leagues. He mm-hmm. had 17 career wins going into that mm-hmm. season. He went 18-7. and seven. He had 17 cumulatively throughout the course of his yes. career. And then, and then after that season, one, he won a grand total of 10. In his career? Yeah. He's so it's just one year. 18 of them came okay. in one year for the Cardinals. So it was just one year. Okay. And he was an all-star. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I don't feel that bad. I'd, I'd feel more annoyed. No if he... <sighs> yeah. That's a good call. Tewksbury actually did finally figure it out. Do you know who the Cubs traded in order to get Bob Tewksbury? I know who the Cardinals traded Bob Tewksbury for. Who? Lassie, Jim Edmonds. Um, wow, really? He was. I think. I don't know. He's in the. I don't. I don't think it was. The thing about Edmonds, Edmonds. He the started Cubs had tried to trade for him forever. He was Brian Roberts before Brian Roberts. They could never quite figure it out. And then they got him when, when he was old. Although they did win a division, and he didn't suck. He was old though. He was not the same. Uh, no, it was it was a mere shadow of Lassie's former self. Um, no, and now I just forgot oh, I'm wrong. the question. I was wrong. It wasn't Bob Tewksbury. Damn it! All right. Well, what was your question though? About- well, Bob Tewksbury came to the Cubs. I want to say, and I could be wrong, along with Ray Fontenot, and along with Cub legend Brian Dayette. No, we're all wrong. For- I was wrong about Edmonds. Wrong. You're wrong about this. It was the Yankees. Steve Trout. It was the yes. Steve Trout trade. Right. That's it. That's he, got, he, he came over with Rich Scheid and Dean yep. Wilkins. Wilkins. Yeah. Eh, shit. I'm pissed off about the Edmonds thing. I thought I knew that. Yeah. For years, I've been mad about Tewksbury for that. That's not his fault. Steve Trout threw two shutouts before that trade. You might. I recall. know it was a terrible trade, and now I'm hesitant to look it up. I don't think it was. Wait, well, Tewksbury to the Cardinals, you mean? No, like they, whoever they, they got they Edmonds f- for. Oh. Oh, I could tell Junior was, Kennedy, Adam Kennedy. Adam Kennedy and, uh, and Kent Bottenfield. And to me, Kent yes. Bottenfield... And That's the, Bob Tewksbury the, is the same guy. Yeah, no, but, well, it's funny how you brought that full circle inadvertently. But uh, the Bob Full circle part, inadvertently should be the name of the podcast. <laughs> I think we've got something. Um, the annoying part about that is Bottenfield. I would say uh, that Adam Kennedy actually led the Angels to a World Series. He, I remember he had like three, like a huge LCS, I want to say. Him and uh, Scott Spezio. Is that what it was? They were incredible yeah. in that. So they actually did that. So at one point, that looked like the Angels had the better deal. Edmonds was always a great player for the Cardinals, but they didn't oh, win a World Series until 2006. Yeah. And they went in 04. Right. They went in 04, but that was after the Angels had already won one. So the Angels didn't really regret that in the beginning, and ultimately you can't really say they would have. They got one World Series with Adam Kennedy. So yeah. The only one they've ever won. Correct. Uh, do you remember Dave Schwartzbaugh? Just the name. Yeah. 
or 37. I could be wrong. So now this was the year Ramon Tatis pitched for the Cubs. Do you remember what Ramon was most famous for? Yeah, being a red ass and and Jim Riggleman, who I have to say just typified this sort of Cubs era of des- of mediocrity by design, where even their managers were just vanilla guys named Jim. Yep. You no, know, mostly. Um, but that Lefevre uh, shot him down for uh, what it was was it was Riggleman. He it was Riggleman, right? But it was because he uh, he brushed back a hitter and Riggleman didn't stand up for him. Yeah, right. Called him out. He took him out. Of the I, is that what it was? Yeah, he didn't. I he, say, he didn't call for him to hit the guy, and he did. He hit somebody, and Rigamo okay. went out and took him out. And said, "We don't." Do I think that. I, it's like, well, maybe you I should. wanted. And I, I swear to God, there was another incident that happened on the team bus that might have been related to oh, that or, or not. So, um, yeah. So yeah, we remember the same thing about Ramon Tatis. You have been name checked, Mister yep. Tatis. Uh, Rockford's very own Rodney Myers pitched on that. Uh, but not, yeah, I, I remember my brother uh, who didn't follow the Cubs as closely as I do, but he's responsible for me being a fan, right? Like, he totally did in the seven, and he does. He follows it more than the average fan, but he, he'll defer to me. And he came up to me at one point. He goes, wait a second. So the Cubs don't have Randy Myers <laughs> anymore, right? But there's the, the, there's Rodney Myers? <laughs> it's like, and the other thing that I think was, I remember seeing people in Wrigleyville with number 59, my, M-Y, not Randy, Randy, Randy Myers was M-E-Y-E-R-S. Yes. Rodney was M-Y. And there, and I swear I did not hallucinate this in no. the 90s. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, I but Randy there Myers were people, the same spelling. I think uh, it was, maybe it was. Okay. But I know that yeah. Rodney Myers, whatever his number was, there were people wearing Rodney Myers jerseys, not Randy Myers. They were from Rockford, probably. I didn't know Rodney Myers was from Rockford. So. East High School in Rockford, Illinois. Good. Give okay. it up for the E-Rabs. Um, okay. well, we so got to talk about. So we have to talk about Turk Wendell. So, somewhere around here, I have a baseball card of Turk. It's I use it as a bookmark. I, under like my Sean Dunstan bookmark. He's on the dugout. He's got his arm wrapped in a towel and he's brushing his teeth. Yep. And you know why he's doing and anybody who remembers Turk knows why he did it. Turk would chew didn't want to chew tobacco, he chewed licorice, black licorice. Yep. Supposedly it, he would also dip dirt when he was would, a minor. Like it that. would stain his teeth. So he got in the habit of brushing his teeth between uh, innings to keep the licorice from staining his teeth. Yeah, he he was obviously a character and I always kind of wondered how much of that was sort of an affectation, how much of it was put upon. He, uh, he, he talked he, to himself I, on the back of the mound, kind of Mark yeah, Bird yeah. Fidrich. Well, yeah, kind of like he, he was sort of fashioning himself as a Mark Fidrich type. Absolutely. He jumped, literally leapt over the foul line on his way off the mound after he pitched. Always, always. Rich, like a lot of players have the superstition about stepping over the line. He No, he just went one further and made a very demonstrative show of leaping over it and in 97 um, in this year when he when he took over the closer duties for a little while when mel mm-hmm. rojas was taken out of the role yeah <laughs> turk had a this big furry necklace do you remember this that he wore yes he had it killed was like, it, he some was a hunter. sort of animal and yes. he was wearing the pelt around his neck and i don't remember the pelt i thought it was the teeth or something and the well it was it had fur on it and the other players okay. complained because it smelled and eventually, umpires said he couldn't wear it while he was pitching because it was, sure. you know. Uh, so he had that. So that was funny. okay. Now, ninety-seven yeah. is famous for a a huge trade. Oh yeah, the big Mets trade, which had impact in nineteen ninety-eight. 
you mentioned Brian McRae a few times. Um, actually, I like Brian McRae in 1995 and 96. He was a decent player uh, for, again, uh, you know, mediocre by design teams um, that did okay. And then I remember him mouthing off in the offseason about how the team wasn't doing anything. And I just remember, because I was an idiot, like, you shouldn't say anything, you know, <laughs> until you get to spring training. But, you know, he did go out and have a shit season. He was terrible he in 97. Was awesome. So by the time they got rid of him, I was done with him. Because he was already, like, checking out in the office. And it's granted, my boss, Jimmy, who I talked to earlier, he gave up his season tickets there. He was so mad. I wasn't going to give him up. I was disillusioned. I was 25. I just started living in the city. I was not about to. Right. Uh, but there were angry, you know, there were people that were not happy going into that season. You kind of sense that they weren't really had their shit together. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, uh, you know, that that's, that's, that's where I'm coming from. So do you remember who the Cubs traded to get Brian McRae? So let me see how much I can remember the trade. They traded Wendell. Who cried? No, 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 no. The, the trade oh, to get him. In the to first get place. him. We're going we're to start with this one. 90, April 5th, 1995. From the Royals? It was right it, at the end of spring training. Yep. One of Ed Lynch's first deals. Would I know the guy the Cubs gave up to get McCray? Uh, you're going to know the name, but I don't expect it, you're going to. Was it like Mark Parent? It was Derek Wallace. Do you remember Derek oh, Wallace? Oh, yeah. Well, I believe Derek Wallace was one of the other Larry Himes number one draft picks. I might be wrong. And also Gino Moronis, who I think, nope, um, no, no. I think had a yacht rock band. They can, uh, yeah, he can he can go hang out with what is it, Rich Scheid and Dean Wilkins, the guy the the guys the Cubs got for Bob. But the Duke timing Curry. of it, I didn't remember this. I didn't remember that it was April fifth. I mean, it was. Yeah, I don't either. I, mean, I don't either. That never happens. What were they going to go into their season? Scott Bullitt in center field. Probably. Okay, so yes, so then a couple of interesting things about the big trade was, you're right. It had some of these guys end up being very important players on the '98 yes. Cubs. Yep. But it was a huge trade that happened after the trade deadline. Yes, because both teams sucked and nobody wanted any of their right. players, I guess. It, it didn't, the trade started, the initial trade was on April, August 8th, and then they com- they completed it in phases because guys had You're to get kidding. their waivers. Right. Oh, because I always, in my, I didn't know that I was associated as one big, like, seven-player trade. and I'm not, And I'm resisting the urge to look at it. Because I have the '97 season up. All right, we'll see how much we can remember. The Cubs traded three right. guys. Can you name the, the Cubs three traded Cubs? Ma- uh, McCray and Wendell. I'm going to have to come back to uh, to the next one. And they, so they got four back. They got uh, Mark Clark and uh, Lance Johnson. So they got their game one starter of the '98 LCS and their center leadoff man. So, so the, the Cubs game one starter one. by by default. <laughs> Everyone else had their arm in a sling. <laughs> They're just soaking in a tub of ice. Um, we'll talk about that down the stretch. Team in okay, I will say that the two the two players you're missing. It was it's it was a three for three trade. Oh, it's a three for. They're missing one on each side. You're missing one, and there are two guys we've we've already talked about extensively. They've already been mentioned. Yes. <laughs> See now I'm going to try too hard. Um, and so 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 I got McCray. These are guys that started on the '97 Cubs. Um, was one a catcher? No, I don't. I have to give up, even though we've mentioned it. Nope. I just can't. I don't have the right context. So the Cub you missed was Mel Rojas. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. That's right. And they the dumped Met, him before his first year. And the Met you missed was Manny Alexander. Oh, that's how they got the great <laughs> Manny Alexander. So the trade was on August eighth. The Cubs traded because these guys had already gotten through waivers. Amazing. 
Brian McRae, Mel Rojas, and Turk Wendell to the Mets for Lance Johnson and two players named later. Who on, became... August, on August 11th, three days later, they got Mark Clark. And yes. it took a long time to get Manny through because he's such well, a star. August 14th. His, his, his bag kept getting checked as it came through. But you <laughs> never see a six-player waiver. Of course, you can't. Now that waiver trades aren't a thing. But up until two years ago, they were. Right. And right. you never saw six players. That was just a good example of how bad the teams were well, and how little anybody else thought of their talent. Because wouldn't about, you have thought somebody would have claimed Brian McRae or Lance Johnson? Right. Just to You're be an extra outfielder on a good team going in the going down the playoffs? And, and they both and made I'm it through. Not, right, right. And I'm not trying to be cute, but you mean the most players for a two-team trade. Because I almost want to say the Nomar trade for the Cubs, which had four But that wasn't players. a waiver trade. They did it at the deadline. It was at the deadline. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. right. The biggest one recently was the Justin Verlander one. I think it was three players for him. Yes. And the Cubs Cubs, already had Cole Hamels. The Cubs fucked that up so bad. They were negotiating with him until the very end, until until the deadline. He wanted to go there. The Tigers were trying to make it work. And the Cubs got cute and said, "All right, we we don't." It's, the Ricketts basically said, "We you don't need to. We don't need to add that. Pay, add that." They basically had a wink, wink agreement with Verlander that they would revisit it in the off season and trade for him then, which made no sense. They needed him right away. Then all they had to do to hedge their bet was claim it and tell the Tigers, oh, "We're not going to give you anything for him right now." Well, they couldn't. Right. The Tigers weren't just going to give him away. They could have blocked him. Instead, they let him go through, and the Astros got him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it'd make a difference. Nice but... job, Theo. I don't know why yeah. everybody thinks Theo was so good. We'll leave that. He only won three World Series. That's all. I know. We'll leave that for another podcast. Yeah. Uh, another guy that made his uh, big league debut in 1997... God rest his soul. Oh, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. There were three. Yeah, that's that's right. We should talk about this. This was the 97 team was cursed. Bring out your dead. There are three pitchers, starting pitchers, and they all pitched a long time together because Kevin Foster, who grew up at Evanston, his dad was a CTA driver. He's made his debut. He he was traded for Sean Bosky. He shows up in 95, and he's pretty much on the team from then. Castillo came up a little bit earlier in 92, um, and uh, and Jeremy Gonzalez made his debut in, in 97, so they were all part of the rotation in 1997. And to quote uh, the late ABC sports guy Jim McKay, they're all gone. <laughs> so do you remember the Brian McCray-Frank Castillo story? I was at that game, um, but I didn't get there early enough in batting practice to see the home run. But Frank Castillo, even for a pitcher, is this a story? Yes. You, you might have a twist to it. So I'll tell the straight story as I re- recall it being told to the to the box office, the press box wags. Uh, I was actually at the game that it happened. I was sitting in the bleachers, but it happened in batting practice. And there probably wasn't too many people in the park because – of course, when the home team or the Cubs take batting practice, if you want to see, you're only going to see about the last 20 minutes of it before you watch the road team. But in that batting practice, Frank Castillo, who even for a pitcher was a notoriously awful hitter, um, it was proffered a bet by Brian McRae that if he could hit a, just a batting practice pitch um, over the over the ivy-covered wall in batting practice at Wrigley Field, that McRae would, I believe, purchase it, him a car. And, uh, and lo and behold, at some point, and I think it, it may have happened in 97, but then I think, you, you know what? 
Castillo got traded later in 97 to Colorado. This is actually Castillo's, I think, his future uh, partner in uh, in death, Jeremy Gonzalez, may have replaced him. But yeah, so are there details to that story? There was something. Well, I'll tell you. About Guess who's going to fill in the details? We're going to the Times of Northwest Indiana. George Castle, Ooh. writing on May thirty first, nineteen ninety seven. <laughs> the headline: Wait. Cubs <laughs> Castillo wins a car, loses a game. Uh, Okay. George writes, Frank Castillo may have a new career on Wheel of Fortune. The Cubs pitcher might need one because his starting rotation days could be numbered unless he turns the season around fast. Anyway, uh, Castillo got the best consolation prize ever for a pitcher getting shelled out of the game for the second straight start. He won a three-year-old bet with center fielder Brian McRae. Castillo and his wife, Tracy, will be one Mercedes richer as a result. God, even, even he's really overwriting all of this uh basically you're right um okay i I, i'm gonna add one uh pointless uh, celebrity encounter to this game i swear i swear this is the same game and i don't know how you could verify it but i i um that i i think it was with oleg we're in the center field bleachers we got there kind of late that's why i didn't see the, uh, the the home run and watching the game i looked down into the right field bleachers, right? So you're kind of above, you're on a perch a little bit if you're up in center field. And I see what is like the unmistakable sort of pompadour of a one Dan Patrick. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I, I was able to spot. I'm like, wait a sec. That, I mean, that, look at that here. That's Dan Patrick. So I kept my eye on him during the game. Like, That's totally Dan Patrick. I just purchased. I was, you know, I, I enjoyed like any guy in the, in the, in the nineties, the, uh, the late show. Is that what they called it? I forget what they called it, but they, the but show. whatever they made, the Big Show, the big and show. that's what they nicknamed. They wrote a book together. Yep. You, you probably bought it too. I didn't. Uh, I, I read it. I read, I read it, it somehow. Yeah, I, I bought it. I read it, and it was right around that time, and so I was kind of big on it. So I, you know, I'm usually pretty demure uh, if I see a celebrity in public. You know, I'm not going to bother him. But when the game ended, um, he was still just hanging out. He was just hanging out as a fan. He must have been in town for work. In fact, I don't know what's the date on the kit and the and the George Castle story. May thirty first, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, he's probably in town for the Bulls. For the Bulls, it was, uh, yep. NBA, you know, sure conference semifinals or something. So after the game, I started making my way outside. He was just hanging out. He was not in a hurry to leave. And I went all the way down. I went up to him and I shook his hand and uh, and I just said, you know, I just bought your book. And he, he made a funny joke. Oh, you're the one, you know, that old kind of joke. You're the, he was very self-effacing and funny, and I, I didn't want to take up much of his time and, you know, try to hang out with him. But that was my celebrity encounter uh, in the right field bleachers. But pretty sure it was the same day that uh, Frank Castillo won his ass a Mercedes. And then yeah. a according, to, later, according to George, the original bet was a joint bet between Brian McRae and Jaime Navarro had, I guess, Jamie. He was both. I call I called him Jaime. Um between him changing his name and Jeremy Gonzalez changing from a J to a G, <laughs> J to a G. getting struck by lightning on a beach. Um, what was wrong with the 97 Cubs? <laughs> My God, they were like cursed. <laughs> to, to this day, most hilarious former baseball player death. Do you remember how Bo Diaz died? Well, uh, putting up a satellite, a satellite dish? Dish I fell on him and killed him. 
Oh, now it wasn't the little direct TV pizza box size one. It was the big, right now. But still, we had a neighbor that had a satellite. It was got crushed by his own satellite. A, a fourth of their backyard. So apparently, the the original bet was by both of them. Unfortunately for Brian, he was the only one around still in '97, so he had to buy the Mercedes. Ah, uh, okay. But they had told Frank that he was the worst hitter they'd ever seen, and they knew he could never hit a home run in a game or yeah, batting practice, okay. and they okay. felt very safe. And then just, a, just two short months before he was shipped off to the Mets, uh-huh. poor Brian had uh-huh. to pay up. Actually, so Frank got, was... probably got traded before Brian did. Yes, it's right after the death. I remember, I, I want to say Castillo uh, like got traded and then shortly after pitched against the Cubs at Wrigley Field. I could be uh, I'm going to, I'm be just, I'm just, I could be very wrong, but I've, I seem to remember Frank Castillo's wife. Super Very attractive. attractive. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tie a few things together. Even Not Mark DeRosa's wife attractive. Because Correct. Mark DeRosa's wife may be the greatest looking yes. well, baseball player wife of all time. I to tie together um, a few things. Even though this happened in 1995, I was in attendance when Frank Castillo threw eight and two-thirds no-hit ball. Oh, yes. I was at the game. Oleg was there. I actually was not even drinking because I was on some weird diet. I was trying to lose weight, and I couldn't drink. So I was, I was going out of my mind. In fact, just to tie it in, uh, it was a late September game. I know that the Lions and 40, the Lions pulled a rear upset on the 49ers in Monday Night Football. We saw at the Cubby Bear after the game. But there weren't a lot of fans, although the Cubs ended up, you know, they were not even eliminated. And it was the, the, week, the final week of the season, but it was after the strike. It was a weird time. We were able to get a lot of tickets really cheap that year. Uh, and it was fresh because I was right out of college and I was poor. And I went to a lot of Cubs games. Uh, but I think these are the ones we were sitting in the seats that my cousin had that I would eventually have a part of. But what we do is we were able to move down and go closer to the wall. And we were, oh, right, yeah. behind the, we were right behind the bullpen. And we were all anxious, and I tapped Turk Wendell, who was sitting in the bullpen, because, you know, back then you could just tap a bullpen member on the shoulder, and asked him to give me some of the dirt that I could, you know, just to put on the show, because they said that and Turk, Turk Wendell would dip dirt. No, and I did, because oh. I was ne- right, because I, <laughs> I was a 23-year-old idiot. But I know that Wendell would dip dirt, so I wanted to show some camaraderie for him. Uh, and he thought it was pretty fucking weird. But uh, viewers at home... Uh, which I was not aware of this. I was made aware of this after, but viewers at home were made very aware of Frank's wife, um, Kathy, because I believe Tracy. that in Tracy, I apologize, but uh, Tracy Castillo, because uh, in all of the hubbub over Frank, almost throwing a no hitter, Arnie Harris made it a point to, uh, you know, sort Arnie of accentuate was, the drama. Yes. Arnie was good at getting shots of the lake and shots of attractive women. Yes. Dressed for the weather. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the hat shots, which I didn't know was a euphemism as a kid. So, but that was 1995, not 1997. Oh, well, but, I'm glad uh, you didn't save that for the 95 one. Right. We might, it might come back though. And if it is, I don't want to hear I'll just edit complain. this out and drop it in that one. Cause I'm sure I'll remember to do that. <laughs> um, all right. So we had a request today. I don't know if you saw this. Yes. Um, so From Mike, Mike Presnowski, our, t- our Twitter follower friend. Yes. Good guy posted a poll question that he wanted us to weigh in on. Yes. And it was, which Chicago sports drought took you by most surprise when you first became aware of it as a kid? And the four choices were yep. the Cubs World Series championship drought, hearkening back to 1908, the yes. White Sox World Series drought, back to 1917, the Blackhawks yes. Stanley Cup drought to 61, 
or yes. the fact that the Bears hadn't had a competent quarterback since the 40s. Right. So I voted the Cubs, and I'll tell you why. But then when I saw your answer, I was like, that is the right answer. Uh, and that's actually true. Let me just first say why I took the Cubs, because I was getting into the Cubs in 1980. This is what this is kind of about. Uh, 79, 1980. Uh, shortly after Dallas Green took over, after the Tribune Company bought the team in 82, they, you know, started cleaning the place up and they got in, started selling some merchandise. But I remember that they were selling these shirts that said 1908. And I remember it because we had a relative in the family, a cousin by marriage who was from New York and was a Yankees fan. Insufferable. Great, good guy. But, you know, when it came to sports, he was uh, insufferable and uh, was not shy about, hey, I see the Cubs have some new merchandise celebrating the last World Series, 1908, you know. What are you going to say? And I was like, wow, that really is a long-ass time ago. So that's all. I mean, it was just because I didn't didn't know enough at the time to to go, that's right, a whopping nine years longer than your awesome team's drought. And that's the thing. It's like, really, uh, for Sox fans that bitch about all of the media outlets that forget about their so-called 20, 2005 World Series, uh, get equal protection by people forgetting, the, you know, we didn't even know. You're right. I, it was like the Sox were the White Sox were just as bad as the Red Sox and Cubs, and it was never discussed. You, you wouldn't know about it otherwise. That is the only right answer. Well, and opinion. the White Sox dined out for a long time on the fact that, well, we were really good. We had good teams in the 50s. Yeah. But the Yankees were in our fine. That was their only golden series. era. But they still, to this day, they've never made the playoffs in back-to-back years ever. Yeah, yeah. They went just as long a streaks where they were terrible as the Cubs. No, ever let, let me tell you something. Between the time they threw the World Series in 1919. In 1959, when they went back, that set a major league record for what was then, you know, longest World Series drought. But then, in the modern era, it became the longest playoff drought. With the which the and I only knew about this and I learned about this in 1984, when the Cubs went back to the playoffs for the first time in 39 years. So obviously, the World Series drought is longer than what the Sox, but the Sox still hold the longest postseason drought. Um, having gone from 1919 to 1959 without a pennant. Now, when you also factor in that their only other pennants before 1919 were when they beat the Giants in 1917 and, of course, beat the Cubs in 1906. Of the original six teams, uh, they, by far, they they have been to the few, they've won the fewest pennants. They've been to five World Series. Even the Phillies, who were only, had won two pennants until Dallas Green, you know, took them to all the way in 1980, have surpassed them. The Indians who've had long stretches have surpassed them. So it really, of the original 16 teams, if you want to look at that, I know it's not hockey, but there are 16 original extant franchises. Okay. That have, you know, some have moved from, you know, to multiple cities. Some haven't. Uh, It is, there's beyond a shadow of doubt that the Sox are the most piss poor franchise of all of them. Even the St. Louis Browns who only won one pennant in a war torn season with a one armed outfielder (laughs) still became the Baltimore Orioles and won three world series. So so you, my answer to that was the White Sox. It was I gave a joke answer, which was I didn't even know they were a thing until I got to college. Right. But I literally never knew a White Sox fan until I went to Northern. I'd never met one. I didn't know anybody who actually were for the Not White Sox. one? And Not a single one. Everybody I knew were Cub fans or didn't care about baseball. It was one or the other. No Twins fans or Brewers fans? Well, there were probably some Brewer fans. Okay. Um, but everybody was everybody I knew that liked baseball liked the Cubs, so that wasn't even a thing. And so I didn't give I didn't give a shit about the White Sox, and I still mostly don't. 
I like there to make no fun of them, but I really don't care. But when right, I got to right. college, you know, I was there from 91 to 95, yep. the White Sox were good. And the Cubs yes. were not. And, and I took an endless amount of shit from Sox fan. You know, yes, there's a lot of yes, South yes, suburban yes, assholes yes, yes. to go to Northern. Yes, yes. And I live with most of them. And yes. um, so I had to, I learned a lot about the White Sox in a short amount of time so that I could argue with them. Yeah. Oh, boy. That was your first mistake. Yeah. Well, they had to argue with me. So. <laughs> yeah, so I grew up had. with the animal. I, I inherited I remember like, hey, can I root for the White Sox too? And I was like, no. He's like, I did the same thing, and then my dad sat me down and told me how they threw the World Series in nineteen. I mean, it's more complicated than that, but yeah, I mean, I feel bad for was, I feel bad for Mike because he put the poll question up at the wrong possible day because he puts it up, and then the Bears go out and they completely solve their quarterback dilemma by signing Andy Dalton, <laughs> who, who you just add a T to me and you get him. And yeah, I did actually have to do a double thing at one point. I'm like, wait a second, Andy Dalton. We have the exact there? same name except he's got a T thrown in there. Otherwise, every letter is exactly well, the same. And an A and O trans. Well, you got to move them around, but yeah. they're the same letters. <laughs> We're like eighty-five percent the same guy. I can't wait uh, to boo the yeah. shit out of myself. It's gonna. Well, be awesome. I think I, pro- I think I promise you that even against your will, I'm going to drag you to a game. So you're going to get your wish. I'm going to be throwing feces onto the field, and I don't even care if it's mine. That's how upset I'm going to be. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. All right, so uh one down, 31 yeah, to go. Yeah, hey. We got through really one of the one of the most miserable seasons in Cubs yeah, history. When that came up, it's like it's a gift and a curse. <laughs> right. There's right. a lot there, sure, but right. it's all bad. Yeah, I mean, right. You, I think maybe you got to do a little bit of work. It's still kind of easy for me to, you know, it's got, all I, the same. But I'm just bad, biding my time for what would it be? 81. I got a Ken Reed story. And I, yep. I, I can't wait. That might yeah, be the only thing yeah. I can talk. Actually, eighty-one I can talk about because it was the first game I ever went to was an eighty-one. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, we can stretch those. I think there's there's something uh, about the older seasons that have I, just it's a simple thing. It's also part of the reason why we're not doing anything from the last five or six seasons. That just well, the longer this, you go, the whatever, more they age. When it just yes. happened, we'd better be able to remember it. Yes. I mean, yes. this is why I'm a, I, I'm going to be I don't really. Know if you remember you know, this, Mike? Do you remember the Ben Zobers got a double in Game Seven? Yes. We. we all yes. Now. Yeah, but it's like no. Do you remember when um, you know uh, Dan Briggs hit a double into the corner in, in no. Montreal Stadium? I can tell you, so. no, I don't remember Dan Briggs. <laughs> so I think he was on the '81 Cubs. So uh, I never would have expected. I, I think Dan Briggs would never have expected uh, his name to be um, name checked. But uh, uh, there it is. So all right. Well, until next time, when we spin the wheel of death and see what Cub season we get. I'll be ready. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Andy. Many of us have herpes. 